Well, it's good to be up here and be able to get back at Garrett. Um, for those that don't know, he defames me weekly now up here, and it's all untrue. But uh, he was supposed to tell Tori. They said Brad sent that out to the senior pastors, and not a single one of them told Tori. So that's the truth. Uh, for those that don't know, my name's Ronnie Worsham. I uh, am the oldest pastor. I'm no longer the senior pastor, but I'm the, still the bossiest pastor around here. I'm bugging people and stick my nose in all kinds of stuff, but uh, they still let me preach every once in a while. I'm glad to get to preach when some of the newest freshmen are here. Um, that way, maybe I can get the truth out there before you listen to Garrett in the coming weeks, or, or even Aaron or Kale, whoever uh, they have up here. So, uh, But I am excited about sharing uh, about passionate devotion, and I, I really appreciate the, the three kind of value statements, focus statements that they um, put up there, because again, it's another way to kind of summarize these bigger constructs of what our focus needs to be, and that's a lot of our problem. I've said uh, many times, most of us as Christians particularly, but as people in general, our biggest problem is thoughtlessness. We just, if we think ahead of what we ought to do, it's kind of intuitive, but then we just don't think. And I'm convinced that, that for many of us, our greatest sins are not the things that we do that we're not supposed to do. It's the things that the opportunities God has given us to serve and be in there with him that we fail to do, the things we know we ought to do. Um, and so these, these are things that just help us kind of think about what we're doing, this idea of communal excellence. Everybody wants a good church, but listen to me, all of you, young people, college students, track, you know, spark, all of us, young parents, you've got to be the church you want to be a part of. If when you come, you want people that are friendly, be friendly. <laughs> if you want people that love kids, love kids. You know, if you, if you want to come and get to know adults, get to know adults. Talk to them. All of us are way too reticent. I can promise you that 99% of people in here would love for you to come and talk to them. Even if they act like Garrett. Garrett really is a friendly person most of the time. Uh, at home, Erica says not as much sometimes, but we're working on that. Um, you know, it's just being the person that, that we ought to be. That's the thing about the Sermon on the Mount. I've heard people talk about it, that it doesn't talk about grace. And it, it's an easy thing to understand. The Sermon on the Mount is not about receiving grace. That's the gospel, that Christ died for our sins, that God loves us that much. And, and the, the pact that we make with him is just, to believe the truth about God. He's that good. He's paid the price. Just trust Him. That's what faith is about. And then listen to Him and walk with Him and do what He tells you to do. It's all really good stuff. The Sermon on the Mount is about living gracefully. 
It's about giving to others what's been given to you. And in doing that, in that it's more blessed to give than to receive, these showers of blessings come back on you in waves that you, you sit there and think, I don't deserve this. I've said many times here, I get way more credit around here than I deserve because the reality is I really don't deserve any. God took a, you know, a backwoods a country guy who Satan owned and and did a little something with me i just laugh if you get some of us that have been around here a long time and let us tell you all the craziness that has gone on you're gonna think how did this church survive down here and the answer is easy it's god we're a mission church we are not a community church we are a commuter church we come in here and get together because here's what we're gonna do We're going to support campus ministry all over this city. Wherever they go, we are. We're going to pour money and time and energy and resources, and then we're going to reap a little harvest. All these babies you're hearing about being born, about 90% of them, we call them focus grandbabies. At least I do. They're focus students that have come up. They've met people. And because they believe in what we're doing and feel called here, they're here now. And they're going to raise their babies here and they're going to do what we do with CTF. They're, they're being the church we need because they believe in what we're doing. Whether it's back with the little kids, that's what we call jam. They're back there jamming, but that stands for Jesus in me. Or CTF, which stands for a Christian... <laughs> I don't need your help. Christian Teen Fellowship, that's our teen ministry. You know, or FOCUS, for those that don't know, that stands for Fellowship of Christian University Students. TRACK is our ministry for non-college track young adults that want to be a part of reaching out to the non-college young adults. And that is something I'm super excited about in our church and what God is doing there and the people he's raising up. You're going to hear rumbles from those guys. Uh, In terms of our church at large, outside of focus, that's where most of our one-on-one studies are and a lot of really neat things going on there. But all the ministries are doing good. So I, I love talking about passionate devotion to God because God is good. I was a uh, a 20-year-old college student the first time I went to church. And and I went a second time and heard a sermon and as I've recounted here to this church many times but most of you've never heard it and it's one of my better stories that I've told a lot. Um He kept quoting a verse, fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man for God will bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And I just remember trying to think about, I wonder where that is. I, of course, didn't have anything to take notes with. I did that at college. Um, I didn't have a Bible, didn't own a Bible. I didn't know how to look up something in the Bible and I sure couldn't pronounce Ecclesiastes. I can't even remember what CTF stands for. But, uh, <laughs> but hey, I can make up junk a lot easier and people are much more forgiving. They're going, oh, is he running for president? I'm sorry, I don't know why I said that. I'm, just, I'm bad, very bad. We're saved by grace. Um, but I want to talk about what that did for me because it turned me. 
the one I, there were two things I was really really passionate about. One was well I should say three because one of them is two things: playing basketball, watching football, and college. I was a chemistry major. I was a serious student. And I'd made a decision to do well in school. And I was going to go make a lot of money. And those were the things I did a lot of. And But when that came to me, it's like, okay, if this is my whole purpose, I'm not on track. I'm not doing what I'm here for. And it, it really made me think a lot. Now, I had lost my faith, what little faith I had in God. I wasn't a disbeliever. I just wasn't a believer. I... I don't know. Why don't we believe in God? Why don't we believe in the Bible? Uh, I was especially an unbeliever when it came to doing something I wanted to do that I figured was wrong. Any of y'all relate to that? Those momentary unbelieving moments when we want to do something that I I don't think I'm supposed to do this. But I wasn't. I wasn't on mission. And, And I thought, if that's true, no wonder I'm miserable. Now, I was 20. It was the start of my junior year, kind of halfway through. And I had spent my sophomore year very depressed. Now, I couldn't have articulated that to you at the time. I just started studying psychology, which I have a, basically a, a, another degree in between my bachelor's and master's. And, and just kind of hearing about this, there wasn't mental health care was for really crazy people, not for people that, like me. Ha ha. And I didn't know where you got help. And the people, you know, in some places it seems like the, the uh, patients were kind of running the psych hospital. Um, I don't know if that rings any bells for you today, but some days that's what it feels like. Um, but I, I just was thinking, maybe this is the problem. Now, on the outside, I cleaned up good. I'd been a leader in school, I'd been an athlete, I knew how to say the right things, do the right things. I could even get a few girls to talk to me. They wouldn't go out with me, but I could get them to talk to me. I could still beat my brother Jack at basketball pretty badly, Uh, and that was my way of trying to beat him up. My brother Jack is here today. You don't want to meet him, but he's he, uh, he might try to tell you something that's not true about me. But inside, I was a mess. Now, I find that most common in most people that don't know God well. The problem is most don't know they're a mess. Because they don't even know what the inner person done right ought to look like. We just start accepting crazy as the norm. These irrational thoughts. Let me just give you number one. Most of us feel crappy about ourselves. And we're always trying to work to be somebody, to be accepted, to be something. Often we run back to our family because they're the ones that treat us most special. Sometimes we run away from our families because they're not the ones that treat us most special. The God of the universe has already declared you as priceless. Now what the heck are you doing feeling worthless? That couldn't be crazier. And and the ability each one of you has within you to do incredibly good things is 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 more than anything that's in this world beyond humans. 
in terms of loving people and caring about people and helping people. We have an axiom here called one-on-one's how it's done because it is. You parent each kid one at a time. You love each friend one at a time. And that's where the blessings are, but we're, we're crazy. And that's why when you come to see God and suddenly that becomes the cornerstone of your belief system, everything changes. And I'll say about something about that in a moment. Well, let's talk about passionate devotion. What, what is it? Well, passion just simply means this strong, powerful emotion. Devotion means a selfless affection and dedication. We're talking this, about this emotionally inner person, powerful, selfless devotion to God. Well, why would you do that? Most of us are trying to hedge. We're trying to put God in our portfolio. God first, work second, family third, wife fourth. I'm kidding. But, you know, we got these crazy things we put in here. <laughs> Teenagers fifth, you know, whatever. It's like, Give me a break here. <laughs> I've raised the monster. I'm kidding again. I'm just playing with them. I love these kids, except for a couple of them. But um, the... Uh, Yeah, really. Why it'll be up here dancing in a minute and you'll know why. Um, In quoting and summarizing the Old Testament, one of the rabbis came to try to test him and and said, uh, ask him the question, what's the greatest commandment in the law? He was talking about the law of Moses that started with the Ten Commandments and all the ordinances that, that God gave to Israel as a part of the covenant he made with them. And and they like to argue about that. You know, what's the greatest? And he used the summary statement that we see in Deuteronomy 6, 5. And Mark kind of quotes it more than the other two. But to just say, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. Now, we have to be careful about differentiating these things because really the heart, soul, and mind mostly are kind of talked about almost synonymously. But when they're differentiated, the heart is usually talking about the core of affection, emotion, feeling. It's our our inner, those things that affect us the most. It's the things that affect us and cause me to affect, cause us to affect others. The mind, when it's kind of differentiated, is usually talking about the core of our thoughts and our reasoning, uh, the things, the way we think about things. The soul is talking about the core of our being and existence. Our, our spiritual nature, we might say, in the sense that God breathed into us this breath of life and we became this living soul, uh, this essence. Strength, again, would be reflecting the core of our body and our efforts, the things we do with our life. And, and you ask the question, why would God require that? That would be like me saying, you guys need to love me with all of your heart. All of your, you're going, oh my gosh. You see? But if I could show you I was the Messiah, God in the flesh, would that change something? Which is what Jesus did, which what Jesus taught, and what Jesus demonstrated clearly who he was. 
God is not narcissistic. He does not need anything from you. I love being at my age and my stage of life because I really can say when I'm working to try to disciple uh, some of you guys to say, I don't want anything from you. I don't need anything from you. I want something for you. And it's just the truth. Now, I say it different for the new apprentices, which I haven't had a chance to meet with yet, but I will, and I will insult them regularly uh, when they like to comment on me being old or stupid or whatever. You know, uh, I have lots of comebacks. But one of the things I like to tell them is I quit worrying a long time ago what 22-year-olds think of me. (laughs) There was a time I cared a lot, especially girls. But, you know, I... There's a lot of freedom in that. And gaining the perspective of God to say, if, if, if somebody thinks I'm awesome, what do I really get out of that? Unless I want to use that to manipulate someone, then you can do that. See, God wants you to focus on Him because He is the one person that doesn't want anything from you. He wants something for you. That's why he says the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. But I have come so you can have life. Zoe, life as God knows it. Life abundantly. That your life will be productive. And I I can't tell you how gratifying that is. That you can look at your life and think, yeah, I mean, I, I worked at a vocation. Yeah, I worked in a lab for several years and published research. It was very major research on catfish farming. Uh, you'll want to you'll want to go take that in, um, you know. But that was that was a gosh. I was didn't have a master's degree yet and got to do that. It was it was a big deal back in those days. But I don't think it really you know matters that much today. Uh, I worked as a consultant and I got to work with a lot of businesses and, and teach leadership and do a lot of ministry that way too. And, and that was exciting. You know, that was important. But, but none of that even compares with what I get to do with my family, with your families, with, with our young people. You know, I kid Garrett a lot, but I'm so proud of Garrett. Garrett really was a junior high kid with special needs. He was problematic. He wanted to break stuff, tear stuff up, run down the halls. You know, he's one of our best leaders here. You know? I think somebody's in there cutting something up. So if you hear somebody cutting something up, they're probably warning me that they have a knife. So... (laughs) But seriously, it's been rewarding because we have, we've watched a lot of kids grow up and seen the difference in their lives, their marriages. You know, if some of you are products of divorced homes, I can tell you right now, still over a 25 year span, we, we, we have a divorce rate of less than 1%. The church in general is nearly 50% now. It, it's because we listen to what, you know, the proverb says. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and he will make your paths straight. If you just do what he says, 
what Isaiah said for God, you know, I am the God who teaches you what is best for you. If only you would listen to my words, your peace would be like a river. That's a lot easier said than done, both to listen and to obey. But with communal excellence, you can do it. A stream of people around you that's doing the right thing. You know, young people, make the right thing the end thing. Don't let the world dictate to you that your, your college years are a time to get drunk and party and be stupid. It's like, that is a bottomless pit. It's so ridiculously stupid. It's just insane. But that's the rite of passage every year because the thief uses it to steal a lot of young people's college years. I had a, when I was a senior in high school, I was still 17. My sister, who was about four years older than I, got pregnant and had a baby out of wedlock and had to quit work, went on welfare. Back in the day, you couldn't work after six months at most most places. And um, part of the reason I went to the college, Jack was already down there. That was a, a motivator, but I went to help her because she was sinking fast. And uh, she had a little boy named Wade. Jack and I were both surrogate dads to him uh, all those years and kind of helped raise him. And when I decided to leave California and move back and start over, ultimately come here, uh, part of the reason I moved to this area was because Wade had started college and he was sinking fast, just like his mom had done. And um, so I thought, well, maybe I can move there and help him. And I'll tell you, the story ends good that Wade did ultimately recommit his life to God and and died in the Lord uh, where he wasn't at the time. Um, but I remember when I'd moved back, uh, he was probably 19 at that point. I was sitting there one day and he was back moping in his bedroom and uh, wouldn't even come out and talk to me. Now, if I were to tell you all the different things that I, Jack, my sister Jane had done for him, it was we changed our lives around to take care of that boy and spent a lot of money on him in time, but he was too busy talking to his friends and he was real cool and uh, cold to us. And my sister Jane came in. Now, my sister Jane used to buy him for Christmas what she bought her own sons and took care of him and Joy and and he would hardly even speak to her. Uh, I sat there for a little bit and stood, and I went back and closed the door in his room and um, spoke sternly to him. I said, all those friends you've got, which one of them do you think would feed you your food if you couldn't feed yourself? Which ones would change your diaper? Which ones would pick you up and carry you around if you couldn't walk? Those people out there have given everything for you and would give a lot more for you. And you're going to treat us like that and treat your friends like this? Now, I said some more stuff to him. I'd been a mentor and a father figure for a long time. He used to come, Tan and I used to bring him to our house in the summer. And, and you know, there's a lot to that story. He listened some. He did. He listened some. But we got him back in college. He finished school at 24, got his degree. And 
he finished in the summer and that probably October he came and said, Uncle Ronnie, I've got a pain right here um, and it's not going away. And I said, well, he didn't have a doctor, never been hardly to the doctor. I said, well, let's take you to the doctor and get it checked out. So I took him to our doctor and um, they gave him some medicine and it didn't get better. And by December, they did a lower GI test on him. And right the day after uh, New Year's on the 2nd, my sister and I took Wade to this uh, doctor because he had tipped me off that he had some bad news. And he told us Wade had advanced colon cancer. 24. Now, fast forward five years later, surgery, chemo, grueling time. This church was involved. Wade came here and became a part of the church. And some people remember um, it came back. Um, Jack, Joy, and I, at 1 a.m. or so in the middle of the night, were holding him when he died. Not a single friend was there. None of those people that he played games with, that he was such a good friends with, the girls that were so important to him, you know, that's who was there. And let me tell you, when you're dying, who's going to be there? And it's going to be God. And if you've forgotten him, you're going to be really sad. Even if you're saved, to go into eternity and face him and know you treated him like that. When he's given you everything, he's blessed you with everything. He was always there. And if you think he's not, you don't know him. Every good gift comes from him that you can see and hear and listen to music and love people and care about people and and just feel and remember and enjoy things and learn. It's all from God. You've been given this amazing thing called personhood. A gift. Now what are you going to do with it? Well, I know that that year... As I came to believe in God, I decided that I was going to live my life for God. And I can tell you, I have struggled. I I am still really messed up. And I mean that. That's not rhetoric. (laughs) If you want to sit and talk to me, I'll tell you. I got messed up. My fault, other people's fault. It's just, I'm a mess inside. But there's one thing, I know the one thing I need to do, and that's just get up and do God's deal every day, and it's going to be okay. And it is. So passionate devotion, what is it? It's, it's, it's a devotion to God that can be said to be powerful, selfless affection for and dedication to God and His kingdom. I used to tell my kids, you better never be afraid to give me a hug and a kiss in front of your friends. I will get you down, hold you down, and lick you all over the face. (laughs) Don't you ever do that. And they never did. They never did. Because I was not going to let my kids be ashamed of me. And I will never be ashamed of God. I'm not going to be afraid to lift my hands up if I think I want to lift my hands up. I'll be even more undignified than this. What do you want? What do you need? I am a, I'm a scientist by nature, guys. I'm logical. I'm objective. I'm really not an expressive beyond words. But I got over myself on that a long time ago. 
I'll sing to you. I'll write poetry for you. And you know, that's not very good. Well, get over it. I'm all you got. Hire somebody better. <laughs> you know, if I'm that bad, what's it say about you sitting listening to me? You know, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just like, well, okay. I, you know, what do you think you deserved? You know, people come to me with marital problems. One of the questions I ask them is, well, how good of a mate do you think you deserve? Let me get that listed so we can try to get them up to that level. Always get silent, you know, in that moment. It's just, uh, and the older people are, the more silent they are in those moments. Well, where does passion, passion and devotion come from? Well, Jesus said in his famous Sermon on the Mount in 619, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermins destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there will your passionate devotion be also. So, look at your look at your budget and look at your calendar and that'll tell you where your passionate devotion is. And the world screams at you. The world is narcissistic. They want you to worship them. That's why every time you go into a sport, they want your whole life. You're in band, you're in choir, you're in drama, you're in school. That's the most important thing ever because most of the people that are teaching you, that is their life. Too many of your professors, that, that field, that's their life. That's their God. Now, not all. If you'll listen closely, they'll tip their hand to you every once on. You'll find out that's their vocation in serving God. That's not their God. But too many, it is their God. Where do you lay up for your, your treasure? You think, well, that's money. Oh, the most priceless things you have is not your money. That's just, you know, an illusion anyway. Um, it's your time. It's your energy. I love Welcome Week and Focus. Because <clears throat> I know, I know right now there's this huge battle. I know what happens. Guys, I've been associated with campus ministry for 50 years. 50 I have great passion for it. I'm your number one cheerleader behind the scenes because there are kids that you guys are going to meet that the world is going to go after and the battle is on. That's who is snabbing 75% of our teens, Christian teens, when they leave home. They're getting them hooked into that stuff. And I love that God has missionaries on campus that are waving the banner and saying, hey, we got a community. We got something going on here. I was talking to Sarah about uh, over at UTA, and she was talking about their welcome week, and she said the college isn't doing anything for the freshmen. That's their problem. We here's what we're going to do. We're going to put some missionaries out there and say, well, we've got some people that'd love to talk to you. And we'll help you get through school successfully and live a much better life. He followed that 
laying up for yourself treasures in heaven with this discussion of anxiety. Young people, have y'all heard young people struggling with anxiety lately? <laughs> you want to raise your hand, Devin? Poster child? The world is trying to make you anxious. It's, it is with the adults, my gosh, trying to just be a successful man. I figured out a long time ago when I read all the articles, there was a not, not, not enough time in the day. I need to spend an hour a day with each kid. I need to spend quality time with my wife every day. I needed to be sure and exercise. I need to read and invest my money. Oh, and don't be the friendless American male. You need to have some friends, and then you need to have some recreation. I think, when? 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 So you fret around and you're trying to squeeze your schedule to be all this stuff. Yeah. Well, Jesus had the answer to that. He says, do not be anxious about your life. What you wear, what you do. What, look, the birds are doing pretty good. The flowers are blooming. They're just, they're keeping going and you have something extra going for you. You know, you can run from the predators. <laughs> The grass with the flowers on it, they just get eaten and they just got to sit there and watch. But then he says this, but seek first his kingdom, his righteousness, and these things will be given to you. Now that doesn't mean they're just going to drop, but it's like our ability to solve problems and fix things is just incredible. But most of our anxiety is thinking we've got to be special. You already are special. If you'll just believe the gospel, you're already special. It's good enough. Passionate devotion comes from reality. When I was in college, a song came out called There Is a God. And it just simply said, There is a God beyond the azure blue. A God concealed from human sight. He tinted skies with heavenly hue and made the worlds with his great mind. Guys, we walk around and look the wonder of God all day long and it's like people think there's one. If you think scientists have got anything figured out, they don't. <laughs> they don't know where we came from. They wanted to say we didn't come from anywhere. But until the Big Bang came banging in, and then they had to admit, well, there's a beginning, and now we got to try to figure that out. Is it amazing and unbelievable and hard to figure out? Absolutely it is. Is it as simple as a lot of fundamentalist Christians want you to think? Absolutely it is not. Our God is much bigger than our Bible, and he's done some amazing things. But with that said, God's existence is as obvious as a builder building this building. Now, there's days we have reason to question the intelligence of the people that built this building, but I won't go there. <laughs> and there are days you're going to question why God did a lot of stuff and let a lot of stuff go on. Trust me. It's okay. But God's existence is undeniable. The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. That would be like saying, this building just happened. You say, you're a fool. <laughs> We can look and say, somebody built this. This is not a happening. We've seen caves and we've seen, you know, 
dust, you know, wood piles that have a hole under them, and we've crawled into that and gotten bitten by a snake. But the, uh, no, this doesn't happen. And that's what I can say looking at you. You don't just happen. You didn't just happen. And I've studied science my whole life. It doesn't happen. Yes, our limitations are obvious, and when we try to supplant God in our minds with ourselves or anything other than God, we're brought to the harsh reality that we are then in deep doo-doo. We're reminded, this heat wave, anybody tired of the heat? Yeah, go, go turn the air conditioner on and get that fixed. San Diego's sitting there thinking, we're getting ready to have a tropical storm that we've never had. Well, stop that. I mean, we, everywhere we look, we just realize our limitation. And it's obvious. And when, when people think we're going we're gonna to so, uh, solve the, the climate change, is climate changing? Yes, it's changing. What else causing it? I don't know. Carbon dioxide, probably. But you know what nobody's telling you right now? The number one reason for this heat is, is because of a volcano blew more water vapor into the upper part of our atmosphere than ever, and NASA and the European Space Agency warned us it was going to be hotter for a while because water vapor is a greenhouse grass. But we're not going to talk about that because we can use it to try to politicize things and scare you guys to death and make you anxious. In the world, you're going to have trouble. We ought to try to fix this stuff. I'm not against any of that. I know a lot more about science than most people. I'm saying, well, it doesn't work the way a lot of your politicians are saying, so sure don't listen to them very much about that. See, what this is, worship is just a realigning of reality. God is, and God is good. That's why our statement of faith is Jesus is Lord. Job answers God when Job, when Job finally gets rebuked in really the chapters 38 to 42, but in 42 to he answers God and says, I know that you can do all things. No purpose of yours can be thwarted. Now God has caused some really major catastrophes and wiped out a lot of people. And people say, why would he do that? Well, the same reason a mom or dad would kill somebody trying to kill their kids. But you ask, who is this that obscures my plans with knowledge? Surely I spoke of things I do not understand and things too wonderful for me to know. You know, uh, quantum physics is really pretty new. And I talk about it a lot up here because I think that science is delving into the invisible world there. I think we're studying and coming to the edges of what we call the spiritual realm. And I think that's why it's a whole different what we call physics, which is a bit of a misnomer if I'm right. But nonetheless, whether it is or it isn't, it really reflects God. But in, in, the, in, in quantum physics is science's faith. Science is doing all their physics and calculations and they're saying, but what we have here can't explain what's going on. There's got to be something else going on. And, you know, the first, you know, I think his name was Dirac, D-I-R-A-C. He, he just liked to play with formula. So he was 
a typical geek, and he came up with the formula for antimatter just messing around playing with formula. And people were saying, wait, that answers a lot of questions. Now go figure antimatter out, you know, and, and you, you get into quantum physics. You've heard of the Planck constant. It's named after Max Planck who is the godfather of quantum physics, and he was trying to solve a problem with our understanding of hot objects like our sun. Our best theories couldn't match the observations of the energy they kick out. And by proposing that energy is quantized, which means it comes in packets, he was able to bring this theory neatly into line with his experiment. Now that's faith. But we have every reason to believe it. Faith in God, we have every reason to believe it. Try to make sense of it. Well, go study quantum mechanics if you want to kind of study God. See, but, okay, electrons are both waves and particles. That's impossible. Objects can be in two places at once. That's impossible. When two particles such as photons or electrons ever entangle themselves, they become entangled forever. And no matter how far apart they are, they will continue to affect the other one spin. Even if it's on the moon, you're here. So there's probably things going on in your brain right now that is entangled with somebody's brain somewhere else and their spins and your spin. You think, what am I thinking this for? I'm being facetious, but I mean, this theory is crazy. But you start understanding a little bit about the omnipresence of God. How can God be in two places at once? I'll just kind of stop there. No one understands it, but we believe it. I'm amazed by that. I love just hearing about it. I'm just, that's impossible. Well, that's what I say with God a whole lot. That's impossible. Oh, yeah, it is possible with God. Passionate devotion comes from a deep conviction about the reality of God, who he is, what he is, and what he is to me. What does passionate devotion look like? Well, I'll just give you 2 Corinthians 5, 12 to 17 without going all the way through it. Just to say, Paul says that this idea, since we know what it is to fear God, and I'll just start there. Those of you that think God is your little buddy, you're going to get really shaken one day. God is not your little buddy. It's, 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 it's like thinking a nuclear power plant is your little double-A battery. The, the energy is pretty different here. It's not that God is so fearsome. It's just compared to us, you better respect what you're dealing with here, who you're dealing with. And when you come to understand that, and then you find out that this God that can blow you up, in fact, he says you can't look at his face and live. That's how the glory, this is the quantum physics of this. The kind of glow and heat that comes off, you don't have the capacity to absorb. I don't know, that's the way I think about it. I believe it. But... But then you find out he's on our side. Yeah, just give me LeBron James and I'll take any five of you in a game. You like him? 
<laughs> yeah. You know what I'm saying? Just, that's, I heard an old preacher say, if it's just God and me, we got them outnumbered. Okay, I'm, I'm in. I believe that. If God is for us, who can be against us? And, and so Paul says, if I appear in my right mind, it's you. If I appear out of my mind, it's for God. That's what passionate devotion is. We sing a little song that says, I can be even a, more undignified than this. That was David dancing and his wife thinking, here's the king whom I'm married to out here dancing in his underwear. That's the story, basically. A loincloth, dancing naked. Kind of like Jesus got crucified. He was probably had a loincloth on. Maybe not. You know. That's why Paul would say, Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all because all have died. And he died for all so that those who live would no longer live for themselves. The question you have to ask you, who are you living for today? Is it all about you? Are you on mission? Do you get up thinking about, what do I want to do today? What do I like? When people tell me, I don't like that. I say, what does that have to do with the decision you make? Think Jesus liked the cross? That's the whole point. Grow up. You don't have to be you know, a victim of your urges. Passionate devotion. Just look at what people are voted to money. That's pathetic. It's just so pathetic and sad, and it's well documented, yet everybody just keeps chasing. Family. The story's about your family can't save you. Young people, if nature falls its course, your parents are going to die. And then who's going to treat you special? And if, if they're like most of us baby boomers, they're not leaving you nothing. That's just the reality of it. And for some of you, I hope they don't because you'd be dangerous if you had anything. But, oh, sorry, Devin. I didn't mean to look at you when I said that. (laughs) See, Jesus said to invest your things that can't be taken away. Let me tell you something. The only thing that matters are the things that will matter a thousand years from now. That's it. Anything else you're fretting about, doesn't matter. It only matters to the degree that it affects the things that matter a thousand years from now. So passionate devotion looks like, well, it looks like passionate devotion, not impassive devotion. Impassive devotion. If you don't know what that is, look it up. It's the opposite of passionate and then finally, just how do you grow in it? Well, focus on the big questions. Where'd you come from? Where are you going? What are you doing here? And when you figure that out, it's like, oh, it's like I am very passionate about my family. It got pretty crappy. My mom died when I was young. I've told this story, and my last six years at home were hellish. The ones before that were not fun. And I wanted to be a great dad. And I wanted to create a home that was full of love and laughter and, and those kinds of things that taught my kids to be unselfish and givers and lovers of people and lovers of each other and all that stuff. And I, that's where I live now. 
and I get to be a part of a church that I'm telling you is the most loving church you will ever find. Now, there's others like it. I don't hear me say that. But it's built very carefully so that you have access to the people that you need here and you don't have to stand in line to, to get to talk to people that can help you. Figure it out. Here's what we're going to do and here's where we're going. And when you figure out there's a God and Jesus is begotten into human form, then you just stand on the side of truth. As Jesus said, those who stand on the side of truth, listen to me, John 18, 37. You just, you're going to find Jesus. But it's, it's, in, it's in pursuing. Make Second Peter 1, 5, For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And I'll, I'll just leave that there. Make every effort. Put more effort into your life for God. Guys, when you go to class as freshmen, I'll, I'll give you some advice. Freshmen, go to class. <laughs> just go to class. Good things happen when you go to class. And when you're there, listen. When you are there, be there. Not on your phone, not somewhere else. Be there. A lot of money is going into that. Finish in four years. It may seem a long time now, but it won't when you're your sixth year and wishing you could finish college. And your family saying, when are you going to finish college? And your tuition skyrockets because you haven't finished college. Yeah, finish college. Go. But go to college for God. And then it's worth it. If you're going to be a teacher or a doctor or a computer scientist, do it for God. And then it's got meaning. And there'll be a whole lot of really good things that come out of that. Young people the same way. Go to college for God or don't go to college for God. Go to work for God. Don't make a single decision with saying, God, what's best? What should I do? You know, it's good to see Kaylee and Avery up here. Avery's actually acting good. Kaylee's been acting up up here pretty bad, but uh, we'll work on that. Make every effort. Do it all for God. So, what is it? It's an all-your-heart kind of deal. I'll be a fool for God. Where does it come from? It comes from this deep conviction that this is real. I believe it. What does it look like? It's an obvious pouring yourself into it with everything you have. The only thing worth everything you have is God. How do you grow in it? By making every effort, putting your biggest efforts in God. Now, all of you have people that can help you figure out where to put that effort. You can waste a lot of time doing spiritual things that don't really matter. But there's some things that you can do that really do matter. Well, you guys have been patient with me. I went over because of Garrett. He took too much time on the Lord's Supper today. But I'm going to say a prayer and we'll conclude. God, I pray you just continue to bless us and help us and help us to feel your spirit in a way that we can experience this passionate devotion, not an impassive devotion. Help us to be Christians that look like fools to the world, not Christians trying to look cool to the world. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and thank you.